One of the things that I love most about ethical and fair trade fashion is telling the stories behind the companies that make these beautiful things. I mean, that's basically why I started this podcast, so that you could hear the stories behind the brands doing amazing things. But what I love even more is when I'm out somewhere and someone says, oh, I love that gorgeous necklace, or that shirt is incredible, where did you get it? And I get to tell the story behind the gorgeous piece. But it's not like they knew that the piece was made by artisans or is changing the world somehow. They just knew that it was beautiful and they wanted to know where I got it. But the fact that it has a story behind it means that much more. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an all-around amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Manish Gupta, the founder of Matterbumi, a fair trade brand that produces some of the most beautiful jewelry and handcrafted goods that works with incredibly talented artisans in India. I have been a big fan of Matterbumi for quite some time, so I was honored to hear Manish's story and hear about how they got started. So without further ado, do on to my conversation with Manish. Welcome, Manish. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Molly. I'm very excited to be here. I am so looking forward to hearing all about you and your story. I have been a huge fan of Madarbumi for gosh, a couple of years now, I, I first learned about you guys because your products are carried in one of my friend's stores. And I just adore what you guys are doing. And so I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. So I'm going to have you just kick it off by telling us the Manish 101. So tell us your story, um, all about you, where you live, where you're from, and and how you got to where you are today. All right. So I grew up in India. Um I grew up thinking that I want to start a chemical industry. Uh, I'm a chemical engineer. I did my uh, undergraduate in India in chemical engineering, and then I did my master's in uh, Michigan, Ann Arbor, and I wanted to be a, a the, the polymer industry king. <laughs> yeah. And then I was working for Dell Computers. Um, actually, both my parents have been entrepreneurs, and I think... I was helping them growing up. I My mom has a boutique, a women's boutique, and I was selling clothes to women. And I think I learned a lot of my entrepreneurial skills at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I always knew I wanted to start something on my own. For me, that was definite. So after I graduated uh, from Michigan, uh, I needed to pay my loans off. So I started working for Dell Computers, and that's how I came to Austin. Oh, uh, Austin yeah. is Austin is where I live now. And uh, I had a great time working for Dell. Um, I was learning a lot, and I was still trying to figure out how I want to start my own business. And the same time, my sister um, in India, she started a handmade paper workshop. And I was trying to help her market their products here in the U.S. So I did a trade show for her. And that is the time I realized that there is a lot of uh, market demand for well-made ethical products. Mm-hmm. So I thought that's a good business model. I can I can make some money here. And uh, I, I, I thought I should go to India, find some artisans and, and start a, a line. When I went to India and started meeting artisans, I started to see that these artisans are struggling a lot. Uh, 
I remember meeting an artisan who was hand weaving a piece of fabric. It was amazingly beautiful. Um, he was about 65, 70. And I asked him, how is he doing? And he said, he's not doing well. Mm. He said, he cannot make a living uh, from this art. He said, his fathers and fathers' fathers have uh, done this work. It's beautiful. I have a lot of awards, but nobody wants to buy this product. And he said, the art is dying. My kids don't want to take up this art. Um, and there is nothing else that I know in my life. And it was sad. It was sad to see that art going away. He said, all the young people in the village are now going to cities to find odd jobs. Um, and I just I just felt sad that that beautiful lifestyle was moving away. So yeah. that is the time the social piece of this business came to me. Uh, I wanted to start something of my own and I realized these artisans needed a partner. So I decided to give it a shot. Um, I When I started the business, I had no idea what I was doing. I did not even know that fall and spring colors are different. <laughs> yeah. I, I really had no idea. I'm, I'm never, I'm not a shopper. Uh, so when some of my artisans ask me what color bags do I want, I'm like, give me green and uh, blue and that's it. Like, why do I need a third color? Um, so anyways, uh, I started my company. Um, it was, it's been a very fun journey. There's been an amazing amount of learning. There's been some amazing people who have partnered with us. Um, and there were people who partnered with us when we did not even know that spring and fall colors are different. Um, <laughs> um, and then soon after I started the business, I got married. And my wife, she's actually a fashion designer. So oh, wow. I, got, I got lucky there. Uh, and she joined the business and she took over all the artistic and the design part of our business. And together, we have uh, grown this business together. Now we have uh, a team of 15 people here in Austin, Texas. We do all of product design, uh, sales, marketing, and distribution. What we do is we study Indian art form, find new art, and figure out how it can be applied to make products for this market. And then we have our own team in India. It's led by my sister. Um, that team is also a team of 15 now. They have, that team is always traveling, finding artisan groups and working with them. When we send them a product design, they work closely with the artisans to bring that product to life. A lot of the artisans we work with um, are marginalized, um, which basically means they they don't have us they don't have enough business or they're not making it and whenever we find such a community we find that there are reasons why they're struggling sometimes their product designs are not right for the market sometimes they have quality issues sometimes they just don't have the logistics figured out they can't find the right raw material they can't ship it on time um, sometimes we find these women artisans who do amazing uh, fabric embellishment, they do embroidery, but they don't have the skills to stitch a bag out of it. Yeah. Or they'll stitch a bag, but they don't, they cannot source quality zippers. Um, and 
sometimes we get a beautiful bag and the zipper is rusted by the time it comes to us mm. and so we realized that for us to support that sector of artisans we have to support them quite a bit so our team in india takes on that role so if you find an artisan group if they are lacking design then our product design team here uh, we make product collections for them our team in india will send trainers to train the artisans if they don't know how to do stitching or if there are quality issues we connect with them uh, with trading partners and and logistics suppliers so that we the artisans can get the right product the right time at the right price um beyond that we do a lot of community work for artisan groups we have created uh, we have trained a lot of women in low income areas in india to to make products now um one of their challenges is that most of these women don't know how to read or write mm. and that's that's a very big barrier for them to connect to trade so we run a lot of uh literacy programs or education classes for these women artisans we run a lot of programs um for health camp and eye checkup mm. a lot of our artisans live in rural areas they don't have access to good health care and uh, for artisans they really need to have a good eyesight for them to make an intricate art and with age or for some other reason if their eyesight starts to uh, go down they cannot make a good product and they start to lose their income yeah so one of the things we do is uh, we conduct eye camps where we get doctors to do free eye checkup and we give free glasses to people who need them that's amazing it's it's really important um and then we do programs like solar lights uh, water heaters um, vocational training programs a lot of times the artisans have been making the same product forever so we would hire designers to come do a workshop at the artisan groups to help them find some new products so in order to like refresh their line all of these programs help artisans move to the next level our goal really is to help these artisans move from being producers to becoming entrepreneurs yes and uh, so now we work with about 1000 artisans in india wow. uh, across 40 different communities and 16 states uh, more than half of our artisans are women about 80% of our artisans are in rural india uh, where they have very few resources and support programs um we partner with about more than 1000 retail stores across the us um and we also now distribute in other parts of the world that is absolutely incredible and that you guys have because you've been around about 10 a little over 10 years correct correct yes but yeah you've right. been able to grow that much in that time is is amazing So I want to you know go back a little bit. Um you you mentioned obviously that you grew up in India, you came to the US to to get your masters um in Michigan. 
and you had this entrepreneurial spirit. And I love that you you said that you always knew you wanted to start something on your own and that when you saw this, you know, clearly you're the type of person who has that that entrepreneurial mindset and your, your brain is sort of wired that way. Um, and when you saw the opportunity to – you know, kind of connect back with um, with your home of India and your sister was there and you saw then the market here in the United States. But that social component, like you said, wasn't necessarily there at first. Um, and when you went back there, you, you, you know, and you connected with the women there and you, you saw the impact for the social component. How did you sort of envision that you were going, you know, how did you envision Matter Boomy at that point? So, I mean, when you when you first did that trade show, you saw the the market for great ethically made products, and then you you went there and sort of your initial idea was sort of not shattered, but it was very it, it changed. How did you really envision it working in the beginning? Honestly, when I started the business, I had very little idea of how sales and marketing really works. Yeah. I did not understand the market channels at all. I did not even understand the 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 different type of retail channels. Um, to give you an example, in the first time when I did a trade show, somebody came and said they have a catalog. Uh, and I said, what's a catalog? And <laughs> <laughs> and they said, oh, we, you know, we create a book with products and mail it to people's home. And, and I laughed and I laughed at it like, does, does somebody buy from like a book when you send it to their home? Um, and I didn't, I just like, I didn't believe that it was a, it was a legit business uh, of sending out catalogs. <laughs> so I had a very, all I knew was that there's, there is demand, um, in in the western market for ethically made goods yeah what i imagined doing was to partner with some of the larger companies uh who had the conscious uh, audience and be basically selling to a few large companies mm -hmm. gradually we realized that the market is is more complex um, i realized that product design is extremely important uh, that's something I did not know when I started. My initial assumption was that there is a lot of vacuum. And if I can get plugged in as a source for ethical products, uh, the companies would actually send me designs and uh, I don't have to be involved in sales and marketing. As I started uh, doing trade shows and talking to people, I realized that the market is, is more complex than that. We realized that though companies want ethically made goods, they don't want to compromise on product design and presentation, which meant that we need to do a lot of work on improving the product design. A lot of the artisans we work with, their product were more ethnic in, in style or some of the functionality or some of the, even the colors of fabric that they were using. So we, over the years, we have started to put in a lot of design effort. We now have three designers in Austin, Texas. And we realize that that is one of the challenges that artisans have had, that because they have been doing these products traditionally, their designs tend to be very ethnic and they don't succeed in Western markets. Mm -hmm. So one of the key things that we do is every product that we have is designed here in Austin, Texas. Apart from that, Another thing that we needed to do was to do a very concise storytelling. Um, people want to support 
uh, ethically made gifts, but at the same time, they don't want a very uh, heavy story or a guilt part to come with it. Yes. At the same time, we want to make sure people know that these products are specially made, these products are unique, and that they're giving back. So we had to find the right balance between sharing the story but not making it too heavy. So these have been some important learnings that we have had uh, over the years. And I think at this point, I feel very proud of the collection we have built. I think it's a very smart collection. It's very well designed. We are doing a really amazing job sharing the story and we are growing fast. Uh, We're getting great feedback from market. Um, We are doing double digit growth every year for, for past many years. I know you're loving this chat with Manish, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show, who was able to help make this show possible, and that's Causebox. As you know, Causebox is one of my favorite ethical subscription boxes, as I've been a subscriber for over two and a half years. How it works is each season a new box is released, filled with everything from accessories and home goods and jewelry to the best in skincare and wellness products that are not only amazing, but they're also doing the most good. And each box delivers incredible value with a guarantee of over $150 worth of products for only $54.95. But if you use the coupon code MOLLY, you get $15 off. The products are not just beautiful. They're also useful. The spring box is sold out. I'm really sorry, but do not be dismayed because the summer box is releasing soon and the sneak peeks Causebox has been sharing have been amazing. I cannot wait to see everything that's inside. As you know, the impact of each Causebox is what I love the most and in my opinion makes the whole membership even more worth it. Their spring box, for example, employed more than 600 artisans under fair trade conditions in India and Kenya and put 100 young girls in India through school. To reserve your summer Causebox, go to Still Being Molly dot com slash cause box and use the coupon code molly for $15 off now back to my conversation with Manish I have to just say as somebody who owns a few pieces from your collection I get compliments on them every time I wear them they're just they're really beautifully made and the products speak for themselves and that's actually a really great point that you brought up that I love to have this conversation especially with ethical and fair trade business owners is talking about and really addressing that the notion of letting the products lead and not creating not making it about too much about the artisans and their and their story so that it's a pity sale because that is I think that actually does a disservice, like you said, to the artisans, because in a lot of ways, like, you know, it does not matter whether the artisan is in rural India or rural Kenya or rural, you know, Argentina or Costa Rica. It doesn't matter. The The artisan just wants to feel pride in their work and they want to feel that people, you know, think their products are beautiful and that it's not about the fact that this person, you know, as as you mentioned, is marginalized. It's not about that. It's a, it's about that the, this person has talent and worth and dignity. Um, it's such an important conversation to have because this can go either way depending on how a brand, cho- an ethical brand, chooses to market their products. And and I am somebody who I think stories are so powerful, and I love love to know the stories behind the things that I that I wear and when somebody compliments me 
on, you know, a Druzy necklace that I have from Matter Boomy. And somebody says, oh, where did you get that from? And I say, oh, let me tell you about this brand. This is actually handmade by artisans in India and it's providing opportunity. You know, so it gives me a story to tell because I love to tell it. But people notice the product first. And that's so important. And I love that this is something that you guys have really um, you guys really do this well because even on your website, you know, when you go to the website, everything just is really about the products. But then you you also get a little bit of that, um, you know, ethical gifts handcrafted with love from India. And then if, if somebody wants to know more, they can see the impact that they have um, by purchasing your products. And so you have, you know, the impact report and all of that. So um, I just, I love that this is something that you talk about. And um, I'd love for you to kind of share over the years, how have you guys found is the, how, what do you, what do you see is the best balance between the two? And so that you're not, in a lot of ways, you know, exploiting the artisans, if that makes sense, but really uplifting them and honoring them and um, giving them the the dignity that they so deserve. I think it's it's building a culture um, within to start with within our company where uh, we want to make sure that we see artisans as a partner and not somebody we are, you know, helping we actually don't use the word helping artisans in any of our um, marketing or uh, any of our discussions the fact is that when we are seeking out these artisans and doing product development with them uh, with the with the with the goal that we'll want to make them uh, financially sustainable the fact is that it's because of those artisans, we get these amazingly beautiful product uh, that people love to have. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, their work is paying my salary. Yeah. So they are the, I mean, I should be indebted to their hard work mm. and art that I'm making a living. So they're helping me. And I think that's that's how we see it. It's a partnership and it's not a charity. Um, and we also apply that in all parts of our business when we uh, when artisans have a, a quality issue we want to make sure that we send them the product back for them to fix it so that they start to feel that it is important for them to send the right quality uh, it'll take their business much further if we were a charity organization we would just say oh yeah that's how artisans make it so some products go bad and we just absorb it that's not that is not going to make the artisan groups um, sustainable yeah um, so we try to make sure we treat them as partners and not somebody you know that we are helping um, if you you know with the quotes uh, I do want to share with you um, the story of us finding the artisan group that makes our jewelry yes um, I love that I actually have so many stories uh, I can take days to to sh- share these stories and it, it makes my heart warm um, so this is about I think six seven years ago we got an email uh, which which basically uh, said, we are a jewelry making community. We are being exploited by local traders mm. and we would want to work with someone like you. And it had a name and it had uh, a very g- generic location. Um, and it was very broken English. So 
I responded back saying, okay, uh, can you tell us more about where you are? Can you send us some product designs? At that time, we did not even do jewelry. But the email was very um, compelling. So I responded back, but I never got a response. Um, at the same time, uh, Ruchi, my wife, and uh, my sister, they were traveling uh, and close to the region where this email uh, came from. So I shared it with them and they said, okay, why don't we just go and, and try to find them? So they, they, had a, <laughs> they had a fun journey finding these. Um, so they basically went to that region and started started asking people, hey, we are looking for this person called Sana, which was the name in the email, and Sana makes jewelry. So in India, there are no Google Maps. The only way you find is you ask one person and he sends you the second person. <laughs> and the, he, so they, they got down on that journey and they finally started reaching a, a very, they, they got into a Muslim community and Muslim communities have strict rules about what women wear. And Ruchi and my sister were not wearing uh, the, the right clothes. Um, and so they started feeling a little bit scared. Um, but they anyway, they, they kept the faith and they kept going and they finally knocked on a door and uh, a man came out and they said, uh, they said, we are looking for Sana. And the man said, why are you looking for Sana? Uh, so they said, oh, Sana sent me, sent us an email and he makes jewelry. Uh, so we are here to see the jewelry. So then the man said that Sana is my little daughter and, um, she must have sent you an email. Uh, I'm the one, I'm her father and I'm the one who makes jewelry. And uh, then he, they welcomed us in and we saw that, so when we went in, we saw they had a workshop about the size of a bathroom here. Wow. Um, there were no windows and there were um, few women sitting around and making beaded jewelry. And we realized that they are they're very proud of their art it was the art that they their fathers and their forefathers have had they really wanted to connect to trade and continue the art but they were they were not getting that opportunity uh, the local traders that they were working with were exploiting them significantly and they were at the they were at the verge of giving it up um, and their, their, their story motivated us. Um, so at that point, we, we really wanted to work with them. We started uh, designing some product and they were amazing. They, they made those products right away. Their quality was amazing. Their supply was amazing. And so we started work with them. And now jewelry is our biggest selling category. So going back to your point, it's not that we are helping the artisans. Yeah. The artisans are helping us as well. Yes. And now I'm very proud to share that that community has now grown to over 150 artisans. Wow. They have their own workshop. They now have a showroom where they actually have all their pieces uh, displayed so that they can market their product more. Uh, Sana, uh, the daughter of the uh, head artisan, uh, we actually sponsored her to go to college. Oh, wow. Uh, which is um, uncommon for girls in, in India. And uh, she's inspired to continue supporting her dad. We have uh, installed a computer training center in their workshop 
for the local youth to learn computers and for them to be able to find more opportunities for them to explore. Um, and it's just such a good story and it, it feels so good to be able to support those artisans and to feel great about the beautiful products we've been able to bring in the market as a result. That is an incredible story. Thank you so much for sharing that, Manish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have like tons of such stories and it just, you know, it's easy to forget that we are making an impact because we get busy in our day-to-day sales and marketing uh, processes. So, uh, we have a monthly team meeting and every team meeting I try to share one of the impact stories for all of us to to remember and feel proud of the work we're doing. That's awesome. I love that. And I love your perspective too on just that you're not helping them. They're helping you. They're paying your salary. <laughs> so yeah, I, just, yeah. I think that's, that's amazing. Um, I want you just to briefly talk about, so you guys are actually a fair trade certified brand. Um, and, you know, obviously this is something that kind of gets, you know, thrown around where people say, oh, fair trade. But then, you know, obviously sometimes that can kind of just be what somebody says versus an actual certification. So you guys are certified fair trade. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and um, the process that you went through to get that certification? Yes. So uh, technically, most of the uh, fair trade certification applies to produce and now clothing, but it doesn't apply to craft. And I'll explain what that means. Um, when we when we see fair trade coffee, uh, it is very easy to trace the entire life cycle of that coffee because the farmer gets the beans, grows it, uh, harvests it, and sends to a, uh, a processing center. So from the very beginning, you can trace the origin of that coffee and it, every step can be certified to be fair trade. In case of craft, the supply chain is very complex. And for example, the Druzy necklace that you have, our artisans are uh, creating the chain, they are cutting and polishing the stone and putting the pieces together and that process can be certified to be fair trade. But the metal itself the artisans are not producing the metal. Right. So there is there's a very large uh, mining industry and there's a very large refining industry and then the metal metal industry. So what I'm trying to say is that a big portion of that product comes from large industries where we don't have any control or insight on. So it is very hard to say that a craft product is it's certified because there are pieces in in crafts that we cannot certify. The closest we come to uh, fair trade certification is membership in Fair Trade Federation. It is a governing body of fair trade organizations in the country, and every company that becomes a member has to go through a very strong peer review in all of our practices. There are nine different principles uh, on what makes a fair trade product and we have to qualify on all those nine principles. Our principles include uh, to start with fair wages, which is what most people relate fair trade with, but it has other principles which includes environmental sustainability. All of our products are also very environmentally friendly. 
Um, 98% of the products that we use are either natural or recycled. And about 60% of our products are compostable at the end of their life cycle. We also, fated principles include uh, making sure there's no child labor involved. It also makes sure we are supporting the cultural lifestyle of the artisans. Um, we are sharing the story of artisans. So there are nine principles which goes above the fair wage aspect. Um, so there are about 250 companies that are qualified members of Fair Trade Federation in the US. And uh, as a part of our commitment to promoting fair trade as a movement, we make sure our website and our product tags have a lot of information about that. Does that answer your question, Molly? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that that's just really helpful for people who maybe see that certification and they don't necessarily know what it means, or you know, if a company claims to be fair trade but isn't fair trade certified, you know, what does that look like? And I just think it's helpful for people to know kind of what the what the breakdown is and and how that you know really impacts the, the business overall. And I think you brought yes. up, you know, and you brought up a great point too about um, sourcing for materials. That's such a challenge for so many companies. About you know, even when you're, you know, you're making clothing, you know, where's the cotton being grown? How's the cotton being taken care of? Is it organic cotton? You know, are the farmers being, you know, paid fairly? It just it really goes down so many levels, and it can be really complicated and very difficult for a lot of business owners to know, you know are even the materials being, you know, sourced ethically. So that's, yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it's, a, like I said, it's an important conversation to have. Yeah, and I think there are, you know, uh, as, as consumers here in the U.S., we are so far away from where products are being produced. Mm-hmm. So we almost have, um, it's very easy for us to say, we don't know what the practices over there are. So we cannot make uh, the right decision. But I think in today's age of um, technology and awareness, I think we have to let go of uh, that card and say, we want to take ownership of what we are buying. Um, The fact is that in a consumer industry like US, you get what you demand. Um, There was a study done in in a college town in Oklahoma where uh, Students from a particular class went around the, the coffee shops in the area for a week and asked if they sell fair coffee. Most of them, most of the stores at that time did not serve fair coffee. Within two weeks, half of those fair half of those cafes were selling fair coffee just because there were people going around asking for it. So consumers make can make a huge impact and i think the more they ask the brands how are your products being made the more brands will be transparent and will be conscious about it i'll give you an example um, of uh, one of the artisan groups that we work with um, so we work with artisans that make um, frames out of bone uh, these are animals that have died of natural causes their bones are collected and the artisans um, have to uh, polish the bones and then make products out of it. When we visited their workshop, we saw that when they were grinding the bone, there were a lot of bone dust. And the artisans at the end of the day would be would look like ghosts. Everything was white. And when we when we went there, we were like, this is not acceptable. Like this is not healthy for you guys. And they said, we have done it for 30 years. Um, 
there is there is no other way for us to make a living except doing this and we were like that's not right and for two years we worked really hard and found a solution where we uh, set up a vacuum vacuum suck section at every desk so all the dust was being uh, sucked out and as a result all the dust in the in the workshop was gone and we got a letter from those artisans saying we've done this for 35 years no one has cared uh, except you and i think the the point i'm trying to make is that if we ask the companies to to do something ethically the trade has so much power that we can change the world we just have to start asking for it as consumers absolutely i tell people all the time in my own life and through this podcast i say you know if you really want to change the world vote with your dollars your money speaks so loudly and businesses pay attention and and government pays attention and and consumers really can make an impact with the way that they change their spending habits um, and the types of companies that they support and um, when you take dollars away from a bigger corporation that's you know possibly using child labor or you know not paying their um, their makers a living wage you know, this is a this is an important thing. And when you take money away from them, then they're going to have to change. You know, they're not going to be able to stay in business. So, um, yes, I just think that that is so important. And I, I love talking about that because it's just something that I'm so passionate about. Um, and I'm just I'm really impressed with the way that you guys run your business and the way that you are really trying to make an impact overall in the industry and, you know, not just bring attention to yourselves and to, to your artisans, but also to just fair trade as a whole, which I think is amazing. Thank you. And thank you for the message you're sharing, Molly. Oh. I think it's really important and we really appreciate you doing that. Absolutely. Um, well, Manish, this has been such an incredible conversation. Um, but before we go, I want to just transition a little bit to my favorite part of the show where I, we just get to know you a little bit better and just ask some fun <laughs> questions and, uh, you know, get to know the person behind the brand. So question number one is what is currently the number one most played song on your Spotify or music playlist? Uh, Thunder. Thunder. <laughs> It's actually my it's actually my daughter's favorite, so that's what I get to play. I love it. I love it. That's a good song. It's a good, it's a good workout song too. It gets you pumped up. Um, if you could choose to stay a certain age forever, what age would you would you choose? Um, hard question. I think uh, just today. Today, I like it. You right? You you like the point of your life you're, where you are right now? Yeah, I think every point in my life has become even more beautiful. So. I'm very excited to be where I am today, and I'm very excited to see what life has in store for me tomorrow. I love that, Manish. That's so deep. <laughs> I love it. Um, if you could meet anyone, living or dead, who would you want to meet? Um, I, I would like to spend some time with Barack Obama. I mean, who wouldn't? That sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got he's got a lot of life under his belt, and uh, I bet he'd be pretty interesting to hang around with. What would you name the autobiography of your life? My struggles with sustainability. Oh, that's good. That's I'd read that book. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was the last movie, TV show, or book that made you cry or tear up? Mm. 
there's a show called This Is Us. Yes. On ABC. I think I cried on that one. <laughs> yes. My husband and I watch that. I don't think I, I know anybody who watches that show and doesn't cry. <laughs> and then my last question, what is something you have learned in the last week? Uh, a lot. <laughs> trying to... <laughs> <laughs> Got to narrow it down. I think the re- the realization that uh, we have so much in our lives uh, that we just need to be grateful about and enjoy what we have. Amen to that. Absolutely. Uh, well, Manish, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing all about um, Modern Boomi and everything you're doing. And and by the way, we didn't actually say this on the show. One of the things that I love is the meaning behind the name Modern Boomi, which it means motherland. Yes. And I just think that is uh, a beautiful name for an incredible fair trade brand. And like I said, just thank you for all that you do. And for the listeners, as usual, I will have all of Manisha's info and the um, info on how you can shop Modern Boomi in the show notes. So be sure to check them out and support this incredible, incredible brand. So thank you so much, Manish. Thank you, Molly. So excited to be here. I loved talking with Manish and I loved his thoughts and opinions on the fair trade industry and the importance of leading with an incredible product that also has an amazing story to tell. As always, I will have all of Manish's and Matter Boomy's information in the show notes. Another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Causebox. Visit stillbeingmolly.com slash Causebox and use the coupon code MOLLY for $15 off. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out, and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Radio Public, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you are subscribed to the show. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And if you have a moment, would you mind leaving a review of the show? Leaving a review really helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. And if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag business with purpose podcast or tag me at still being molly on twitter instagram or facebook this show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer john stillman and the music is by mark killian of third wheel media thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose <laughs> <laughs>